Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be back here with you all again. How's everyone doing today? Doing all right? Awesome. Um, This week has been a lot of fun for me um, in a lot of ways, Uh, kind of settling into life here, being around the building uh, a bit this week and, and all of that. I've enjoyed some of the conversations I've been able to have with people um, as I'm just kind of getting to know everyone um, and getting to know life here. Uh, it's, it's been a very warm welcoming, um, and so thank you, and uh, I've just been enjoying this uh, season of transition. Um, and Transition's been happening here, you know, with me and, and, and here this past week, but it, it seems to also have been happening outside, right? Um, the, the air is kind of cooling down. We have rain coming in. Um, it's beginning to feel a bit more like fall. Um, and, and I don't know whether the rain will be here to stay just yet. We might have some more sunny days. Um, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, with, with fall comes all kinds of different changes and transitions, uh, I, I always end up feeling a little bit nostalgic um, during the season of fall because it, it reminds me a lot of the beginning of school and all of those kind of rhythms and routines that come along with that. Um, I'm wondering, did, did anyone here start school this past week? Um, students, teachers, anybody um, in that category? This is my uh, first year and a while to not start school in the fall. Um, and so that's, that's been fun. Um, I'm sure some of you might uh, have children starting school elsewhere in college, um, stuff like that. So I want to be mindful of them as well. Um, along with the start of school in the fall, uh, September also means for many people the start of football season. Um, is anyone, anyone here tuned into that? Um, maybe... <laughs> started watching some, some of those games and, and that kind of thing? Or maybe, is there anyone here who, you know, combining school and football, played football in school? You want to, yeah, all right, got a couple here. Um, I've got to be really honest um, and say that I don't really follow sports very closely. Um, I just never really have, uh, although I will say when I moved up here to Seattle, it was the year after uh, the, they had won, the Seahawks had won the Super Bowl, and so Sports started following me, it felt like. I, no matter where I turned, there was something going on. Uh, all, everything was, you know, blue and green in downtown Seattle. Um, you know, but I've, I've never paid too close attention to the start of sports seasons, um, football season, that sort of thing. However, back in high school, um, I wasn't banned. And so fall, uh, the end of summer, always meant uh, starting band practice and then getting ready to go to football games. And so I was sort of affected as part of that rhythm. I played percussion, um, if, if anyone's interested. Um, uh, and, I, and I'll ask again, any, anyone here, you know, you're, you're nodding, you were in band uh, back in the day. Anyone else uh, play any instruments, band, orchestra, choir, anything like that? Got a few little, little waves here. All right. Um, well, okay, I'm not just making small talk here. Uh, this, this is all going somewhere. I, I want to hold on to these images. Um, school, sports, band, or some musical group or something. As we dive into our text today, I want to just keep these in our back pocket, so to speak. Um, I'm going to hopefully bring them back up. Uh, as I said last week, uh, I want to spend kind of these, these first few weeks of our sermon time together focusing on 
uh, what it means to be the church, focusing on who we are as the church. Um, and I hope that, that throughout this, this time we can sort of cast a shared vision for ministry together. That's what we got, got here, um, a shared vision for ministry together. And I think that these images of school, sports teams, musical groups uh, will kind of help inform our imagination as we talk about what it means to be the church. So, so we'll come back to those. Um, but first, our text today is going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 4 uh, through 13. And again, I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, um, open up there, or if you have you know, the Bible on your phone or something, pull that out, um, because it'll be on the screen as I read through it here at the beginning, but I'd love for you to be able to follow along as we talk through it together here. Um, so Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Paul, again, writes to the Ephesians. He says, There is one Spirit. I'm sorry, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive, and he gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same as the one who ascended, far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ, the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the body of Christ. We ask this morning that you would give us sharp minds and soft hearts that we might know you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so what does it mean to be the church? Paul shares a lot here that uh, I think will help us as we kind of seek a shared vision for ministry together. I think this passage shows us some of the tensions that actually exist in our identity as the church. Uh, just to name off a few that, that I'm hoping to talk about this morning. Um, One of the tensions is that we are one and we are many. Another, that we are from Christ and for Christ. And another, that we all do the work of ministry. Each one of us is called to this. And so these are the things I kind of want to dive into um, as we talk about this. Um, First, we are one and we are many. 
As the church, we are one. And Paul uh, starts here. That's where the passage begins. Paul lists seven ones that hold us together as the church. Seven, this, this good, good holy number, right? Uh, these seven ones are no, no small thing. They're, they're huge things. And these verses, four through six, could probably function as an entire sermon series. And maybe they will someday, I don't know. Um, but this morning, we're just going to kind of blitz through them. Um, and so, let's look at them a little bit more closely. Paul begins, there is one body. Um, and, and I just want to stop and comment on this one in particular. Before we run through the rest of these, I want to note that when Paul writes one body, he's not just referring to an individual congregation, uh, you know, lowercase c, church. He's referring to the universal body of Christ. And he makes that clear down in verse 12 when he actually says body of Christ. Uh, this is the capital C church. Uh, this is the church that exists across time and space, right, throughout the ages and throughout the world. And this reality of the capital C church is, uh, I think, a challenge for a lot of people, uh, both church people and non-church people. Uh, for many people, the greatest problem with Christian faith isn't believing in God, or a spiritual life. Uh, I'd venture to say that here in the Northwest, um, most people are fairly spiritual. Um, It's a very spiritual region uh, of the world. Um, Rather, the great problem that many people have with Christian faith is the church. Uh, The church confesses itself to be one, as we've read here, Um, confesses itself to be righteous, to be a community of redemption and reconciliation. And yet the world sees the church commit utter atrocities that many of us have, have seen uh, rise up in headlines even just these past few weeks. The world sees the church split and divide and argue with one another. And I think some of the, the ladies who are participating in the Tuesday book group have recently uh, had some discussions about some of the history of violent conflict that has happened in the church. Um, I think many people struggle with Christian faith simply because the church has done an awful job of really being the body of Christ in the world. Being an agent of reconciliation and peace. And so they stay away because they don't want to get caught in the crossfires of our arguments and our conflicts. Maybe some of you here have experienced the pain of that kind of conflict and division that can happen in the church. And I just want to say, if you have, I'm, I'm so glad you're still hanging in here. Um, I'm glad that you're here today. Because I hope that we can be a lowercase c church who works toward the oneness of the capital C church. Because if we're honest, a lot of those of us who come from the churches of Christ really haven't done a great job at this. I said earlier that capital C church exists throughout time and space, right, throughout the ages and throughout the world. 
And churches of Christ have often cut ourselves off from both of those. Uh, We've cut ourselves off from other churches around the world. Uh, We've often cut ourselves off from the rich history of our faith. And I just want to encourage you to learn about that incredible history that we have. I mean, read some books by some dead people. They're really good. They're some of my favorite books. Um, and, and as we learn about the history of our faith, no, it's not all pretty. It's not all good. And it's not all right. But at the very least, it is where we come from. Nonetheless. And I think we would be able to better understand other churches in the world if we knew our shared history that we all come from. And so I hope we can be a church who works toward unity, who crosses the streets and partners for peace, right? I hope this is who we can be. As I sort of began to share last week, I hope that we won't just be a church of Christ, but rather a church of Christ. You hear the difference in that. That's who I hope we can be. So, looking back at the text, Paul lists a number of ways that we, as the capital C Church, are one. And I'm just going to blitz through them now. So, one body, uh, I just talked a great deal about, one spirit who keeps us joined to one another even as we are spread across time and throughout the world. One hope that we don't only look forward to, whenever Jesus will return and make all things new, but also work toward as followers of Christ, as we love God and our neighbors together. We have one Lord who has saved us and whose name we worship and proclaim, not only here in our gatherings, but the church does this across the world every week. Is doing that right now across the world. We have one faith that we learn from, that we submit to, that we practice and grow in. There's one baptism that shows that we have all died to our old selves and been raised to new life together in Christ. And finally, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. And I love that Paul ends here because it perfectly links the tension of being one and being many as the church. God being above all, through all, and in all means that God is not only present when we are here together in this building, but God is present beyond this place in all of life. God is with us here as we're gathered together. But God is also with us as we go from here to our separate homes, our separate lives. God is with you every morning when you wake up. God is with you every day as you go to your job and do whatever work you have to do. Uh, God is with you every moment as you spend time with your friends and your family. God is with us in the oneness of capital C Church God is with us in the oneness of lowercase c church. And God is also with us in the uniqueness of our lives every day. 
That's why we don't only gather here, but also cross the street. We really believe that everyday moments are places where we will discover the kingdom of God. The kingdom is everywhere, just waiting to be found. So Paul begins with this list of ones in verses 4 through 6. And then in verse 7, he kind of breaks that one, one, one pattern uh, and writes, each one of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then in verse 11, he goes on to say, the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He lists off a number of different roles, different gifts that exist within the one body of Christ. So we are one, and we are many. And keeping both ends of this tension together is vital for the health of any community. Some communities stress unity so much that it becomes uniformity, right? This happens both in conservative communities where everything has to happen a certain way and everyone has to follow all the same strictly regimented rules. Um, But it can also happen in really kind of progressive, cool, hip communities where peer pressure kind of has everyone using the same spiritual lingo, um, where everyone kind of begins dressing the same way because they kind of want to look nice for each other, where, um, you know, everyone has kind of the same sway during worship. Maybe you've experienced some of this. Um, Some communities stress unity so much that it becomes uniformity. Whereas other communities might stress diversity so much that they end up losing their center and no longer boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus because they want to be sensitive to all the different points of view and all the different personalities in the room. But Paul here stresses that a community should be both centered in unity while celebrating diversity. And I hope we can do both of these things. I hope we can carry this tension well. I hope we can remain united as one in Christ, but also encourage the unique gifts that Christ has given to each one of us. And so this is where I think some of the images I told you to hang on to uh, can kind of help us as we think about what it means to be one and to be many. So classes, teams, bands, and other musical groups, right? Each class is made up of students. Each team is made up of players. And each band is made up of different musicians. And, and think about this. In, in each of these things, all of those different people are absolutely necessary. Though the teacher is in charge of teaching the class, isn't there so much that you learn from fellow students and so much that you gain from not being in class on your own? And with sports teams, again, I confess I don't have a great working knowledge of the technical different positions on various teams, but I know enough to know that there's both offensive lines and defensive lines. And I know that both are necessary um, because without one or the other, at least half the game would be utter failure, right? 
And then think about musical groups. Bands, orchestras have different musicians. Choirs have different singers. Each one plays their own instrument. Each one sings their own part. But an orchestra wouldn't be an orchestra without the variety of instruments that make it up. A choir wouldn't be a choir without all the different harmonies coming together. And I think the church wouldn't be the church without a diversity of people coming together with each of their unique gifts to proclaim the gospel of Christ together. And as kind of a side note, I actually think this is one of the reasons why the church has always been a musical community. We sing together every week because singing is such a profound picture of community. When we sing together, all of our different voices join together to become one song. So yeah, the church has preachers, and here I am, one voice, droning on and on, and by the grace of God, I hope it's helpful. Um, But if we all tried to preach at once, it would be utter chaos. So we don't just have preaching. Uh, When we come together, we sing And when we sing together, it's not chaos, it's music. And that's the perfect image for community. All of our voices joining together to make the sweet music of the gospel. I think next week I'm probably going to talk a little bit more about our our worship time together, and so I'll just leave that as a little teaser. We'll come back to that um, next week. So the church is one And the church is many. And I hope that we can be a church that carries this tension well, whose life together is marked by the sweet harmonies of our unique lives becoming one. And so we each have different gifts. But where do these gifts come from? I want to keep reading. In verse 7, it says that the source of our gifts is grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And this absolutely reframes our idea of what grace is. Because usually we think of grace as God's forgiveness for our sins because of the death of Christ on the cross. And it absolutely is that. Um, But here we see that it is actually so much more than that. Grace is not only God taking our sins from us, but also granting gifts to us. The grace of God doesn't just bring us from bad to neutral, doesn't just bring us from sinful to okay. Uh, It actually empowers us. God's grace launches us into living in the kingdom of God. And so we must come to know God's grace not only in Christ's death, but also in Christ's resurrection. And that is exactly where Paul goes here. Look at the next verse. In verse 8, Paul quotes Psalm 68, verse 18, uh, which is the psalm about a victorious king, right, about God being victorious. And he quotes it in reference to Christ. It says, When he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive, and he gave gifts to his people. And then in verses 9 and 10, Paul explains what this means. And now, most translations put verses 9 and 10 in parentheses. 
right? They were in parentheses as we read them this morning on the screen. Um, and also verses 9 and 10 kind of feel a little bit confusing to us. So I think a lot of times, well, they're in parentheses. They don't make a lot of sense. We'll just breeze on past them and skip over. But they are anything but parenthetical. These verses are essential. What Paul is writing here, what Paul is explaining here, is that the unique gifts that each one of us has is rooted in the story of the gospel. That's the story that Paul tells here, that God descended to the earth in the person of Jesus and lived with us, but that he didn't only dwell with us on the earth, but actually went, he descended to the lowest parts of the earth in his death. And that he didn't stay dead, but that he ascended back to life and resurrection. But not just normal life, new life, where he is now ascended to the highest heavens, and he rules and reigns over the kingdom of God. This is the story that Paul retells here. And it's the story that each of our unique gifts is rooted in. It says that Christ made captivity a captive and gave gifts to his people. The gifts that he has given to you are part of that story of freedom and redemption. And look, there is no place where Christ has not gone from the lowest parts of the earth to the highest places in the heavens. Therefore, as we grow in the gifts that God has given us, there is no place that you cannot go to bring God's healing and redemption to the world with the gifts that he's given to you. From the brokenness of relationships to the joyfulness of celebrations to the simple monotony of everyday life, Christ means to fill all things. That's what Paul writes here. And that is why he has given you your unique gifts and set you in the unique circumstances of your life. You are part of God's redeeming the world. Who you are and where you are matters. And this is what it goes on to say at the end of the passage, in verse 12, that these gifts are for the building up of the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. These gifts are from Christ as gifts rooted in his grace, the story of the gospel. But they are also for Christ as he goes about the work of his redemption, building up his body, drawing all people to the knowledge of him. And that is what he has tasked each one of us with in our own unique places. And that might feel a little daunting, but it shouldn't, because we are empowered by the resurrection of Christ The life of Jesus goes with us wherever we go. That's what these gifts are. We are the one body of Christ, but we are sent out into the many places in the world to be his body there.
So I want to ask, how do we do all of this? Well, the whole point of being many is that it is not going to look any one way. There is no one-size-fits-all for using our gifts in the kingdom of God. The whole point of being many is that it's not going to look any one way. But the whole point of being one is that we are not doing this on our own. We are doing the work of ministry together. Each and every one of us contributes our own unique gifts and personalities to the work of ministry, as Paul calls it. And, and this is where, uh, in some ways, I just want to reference as I am beginning here in this new role as your minister, it, I, I have a special task among us. Because Paul says here that it is my job to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's what I'm called to do here. And so I want to say a couple of things about this. First, Paul makes it really clear that it's not my job to do all of the ministry, um, but rather my job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. Ministry is something that we all do. Ministry is what you do as you teach your students, as you run your business, as you meet with clients, as you pay your bills, as you make dinner. These are all ministry moments in our life if we can only see the little seeds of the kingdom of God there. All of these are places for ministry. Not just church stuff, but all of life. Remember verse 6, God is above all, through all, and in all. This is where ministry happens. And so we all do the work of ministry, not just the minister. My job is to equip you for the work of ministry. And this might be one last place where those images we've been hanging on to can be helpful. Because classes have teachers, football teams have coaches, bands have directors, right? As your minister, I'm not doing all the learning, playing, and performing for you. Rather, my job is to equip you to learn, play, and perform. I am here to equip you for the work of ministry. This is what I hope to do as I enter into this work with you all, continue getting to know everyone here. And so the question I have is, how can I do that? How can I help? I'm so excited to continue getting to know you all I'm looking forward to witnessing how God is already using your gifts in this church and in the world. I'm excited to dream with you about all the things that God is calling you into. I'm excited to not just pray for you, as I talked about last week, but to also pray with you and to see your own life of prayer grow. I'm excited to help you continue discovering who you are in the kingdom of heaven. This is the work that I've signed up for. And I'm excited about it. I'm very excited to be here, to continue 
learning and doing this work together. So this is my hope for us as a church. That we would be one and many. That we would receive our gifts from Christ and also use them for Christ. And that we would all be equipped for the work of ministry. And my hope is that all of this would be for the building up of the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. May it be so. Amen.